That's Orgasmic. You are joined by your host Emily Duncan, and today I am joined with Mim Kempson, a dating and relationship coach. So, how are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to be on your show today. Now, are you able to tell the Shaggers a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Mm-hmm. So, I'm Mim Kempson. My pronouns are she/her, and I'm based in Perth or Bulu, Western Australia. I am a narrative therapist um, at my heart. That's where I started my counselling journey, but I've since trained in a lot of other spaces and modalities, Um, relationships, sex, dating, communication is the main core of my work, Um, and that may be with individuals or couples, sometimes families, sometimes adolescents, with often the theme being queerness being a part of the LGBTQI community. But I do also see heterosexual couples, um, those that are questioning polyamory or um, navigating polyamory, basically any kind of relationship, really. I'm, I'm just so used to hearing a variety of ways that people have relationships and people come to me, you know, reaching a point of conflict or tension or disagreement And it's my job to be a kind of translator. Sometimes partners can't hear each other. And I come in and make the language um, more fitting to, yeah, what they need at that point and at that time. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I can imagine the work would be very diverse. So when should somebody seek a relationship coach or somebody like you? Hmm. I think at any point is welcome. There might be people who've never been in a relationship and there's not much going on in their life per se, but they want to be prepared. Um, You know, what does it mean to be in a healthy relationship versus one that um, may be hindering or hurting you or other people? Uh, You could be dating and finding that you're um, not meeting anyone who aligns or are experiencing particular patterns that are just overwhelming or confusing or hurtful to you. Uh, You could be at the beginning of a relationship and it might be your first, it might be your fifth. You could be deep into a relationship and finding that, you know, something I often hear, the chemistry is gone, the passion's gone, how do we rekindle this? Uh, It could be people who really are happy to break up but they want to co-parent and leave amicably. So there, there really is any um, time in life to see a relationship coach or therapist. Um, I guess the question is if you're feeling disconnected from yourself, that to me is the indicator that it might be time. Yeah, I think that's really important and I I know personally I probably would never have thought to see a relationship coach without actually being in a relationship with relationship problems. Um, mm. But I know it would be so beneficial because I know my, like myself as somebody who hasn't been in a relationship for years, I don't really know how to navigate 
sexual relationships are definitely not well. <laughs> um, so I think it would be, yeah, really important, I guess, for people to seek that because it would therefore be so much more beneficial to their relationships they engage in. Yeah. And I guess speaking for myself, I'm currently single and I'm using this time with my therapist to delve into maybe the things I'd previously postponed or had been um, too in the moment to explore while in a relationship and having that pause to spend the time on me can be really powerful in a different way to when you're in a relationship, which are great because they provide you with all this material and examples and conflicts to bring to therapy. Um, So both have different advantages. Yeah, absolutely. So Emily presented me with a super broad question of what would you like to talk about? And I could choose so many things, but something uh, that comes into my private practice quite a lot that people reach out for me to me about is how to honour one's own bisexuality or queerness while in a monogamous relationship. And there are so many arrangements of relationships that will be different case to case. But the one that I often uh, hear about is cisgendered, monogamous, bisexual women in a relationship with a cisgendered heterosexual man. So um, just for purpose of ease, that is the main example I will be talking about today. There are many nuances if, if we talk about different genders and different sexualities around that. And I guess on that note, sometimes the question is raised of what's the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality? I will hear different things from different people. Some think they're completely different. Others use them interchangeably. But the main idea is bisexuality means an attraction to two or more genders and pansexuality means all genders. So people are free to make meaning of that however they choose. So um, I thought it would be quite helpful to start by going through some of the myths and assumptions that people make around this topic and, and the stigmas because biphobia is real. I mm-hmm. face it. So it real. <laughs> it um, kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit um, and we can do that to ourselves as well. I, You know, that's called internalised biophobia when we do to ourselves what's happening on the outside. And I certainly did that in validating my own relationships with particular people because it didn't fit the bill of what I was supposed to be doing in life um so what are some of the myths i've got a bit of a list here uh and i'd be curious to hear yours too emily Mm. um the first one is okay so in this example with the the woman and the man there's this idea of if the woman sleeps with another woman it doesn't count now i hate that one (laughs) i hate it i hate it and so many men do that so many men are like I wouldn't get jealous I wouldn't even care because it doesn't threaten their masculinity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my god because the woman 
you know, if we if we psychoanalyze it, the woman doesn't have a penis and so she can never level up to what he has to offer is the hidden kind of meaning behind that. Mm-hmm. But, right, the and, and, you know, I might actually refer to my ex-boyfriend quite a bit because he he handled this spectacularly well. It was one of his greatest strengths. When we spoke <laughs> about this, he said, no, you're a bisexual woman. It'll count just as much any gender that you sleep with. No, I would not be okay with that. And, and his assertiveness and passion and clarity around that was really, really refreshing because that was validating bisexuality, basically. Yeah, um, that's great. I yeah. had my first yeah. boyfriend when I was in high school, actually, was I said, what if I kiss another girl? And he goes, you can't do that. He's like, that's cheating. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I was just so surprised because all the other boys are like, no, it, it doesn't count. And I find that now with the people I date, they still don't think it counts. They don't care because it does, for some reason, does not threaten them. Mm. Even though I would just as easily, easily leave them for a woman as I would a man. Precisely. And and for a moment there, it sounds like you kind of had that moment of surprise where you thought that they think it wouldn't count. Yeah, and it's those moments we have to be honest with ourselves in, like, if we truly are monogamous and, you know, it's such a <laughs> complex word because we can be monogamous with many people and then at the end of the day is that monogamy we could get like really down a deep hole with that but um what i mean to say is if we're wanting to branch outside of the relationship and have interactions and kisses and sexual relations with people and it not count if we as the bisexual woman kiss a woman and say it doesn't count we're invalidating ourselves and we're invalidating others and we're invalidating our partner's feelings. So that's mm-hmm. something I want to highlight as well. Um, right, so the next one, the assumption that because a woman's bisexual, she will want to have a threesome with her male partner. So many men think that. <laughs> the amount of times I've told people I'm bi and they're just like, score, the threesomes yeah. are on. <laughs> I've been getting that a lot on um, dating apps where, you you know, I'm taking the approach of being so ferociously and authentically myself that it just weeds through the people that are not for me. And when I say that I'm bisexual, that, that will do the job pretty quick. And it, you know, I'm not surprised by this point, but I do get the response of, great, we can have a threesome or that's super sexy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, instantly sexualized. It's yep. very frustrating, especially if you're looking for something serious. I know there's been times I've probably used it to make myself appear, I guess, more sexual to them when I'm wanting just something, a sexual relationship. But then I've also had the flip side where it's very frustrating. It's like, no, this is just how I identify. I don't need you to sexualize me for this when you aren't going to sexualize me like if I yeah had just said that I was just straight there's no way you just don't get the same response no (laughs) yeah oh straight that's so sexy yeah I've never heard that (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, it's I can relate to a lot of what you've just said as well. When 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 we come out, there are different ways in which we can come out, and sometimes, admittedly, I I use it as when I am having a conversation with someone who is clearly going to be judgmental, misogynistic, homophobic, I will come out if I choose to in a way that is different to someone who is inclusive and warm and approachable and relatable. Um, yeah, so that's something I've noticed about the experience of coming out. It depends on your mood of the day. <laughs> mm, absolutely. It absolutely does. Mm. Um, okay, the next one, all bisexual women or bisexual people are polyamorous. So the assumption that they will need to be with multiple people in order to be happy. No, Pe bisexual people can be polyamorous and straight people can be polyamorous, but also and bisexual people can be monogamous and you get the idea. There's, there's this, um, uh, yeah, another assumption that gets made that all queer people are polyamorous and all straight people mm. are monogamous. Uh, no, I've seen all variations within that in, in my private practice, couples of different orientations. So that one can go out the window. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that also kind of goes hand in hand with the threesomes, just assuming that a bisexual person does want multiple partners to satisfy them. Yeah, exactly. And and that's um, the content of today, I guess, is what happens if a partner isn't satisfied. How can they address that in their relationship? Uh, the last one I wanted to say is the other assumption, being in a relationship with a particular person means that they've chosen that side. And I'm taking mm -hmm. the piss of the language a little bit. You've chosen the side of men, of being straight, or you've chosen the side of being with a woman and you're a lesbian. No, uh, you are still bisexual, whoever you are with. Um, even, you know, the side we hear more often is a woman is perceived as straight when she's with a man. But I have this friend who's been in a relationship with a woman for 15 years and anytime someone calls her a lesbian, she'll correct them and say, no, I'm bisexual. So whoever we're with does not dictate our sexuality or sexual orientation. We are free to give ourselves the labels we so choose. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be so frustrating being mislabeled in those situations. I even remember I was at a wedding and a family member commented on another family member like oh they must be straight now because she's brought a boy to the wedding and it was like do you not understand sexuality like it's so it's such a frustrating thing and I that is one thing I definitely hate um I think another myth too that I've experienced is if you haven't had sex with that gender then how could you possibly say that you identify with that sexuality like how can I say I'm bi if I've never had sex with a woman but I've had sex with a man and I find that so frustrating and invalidating and I really struggled with that up until I did have sex with a woman because then I could finally be like I've done it I know that's 
that's where I'm at. But before that, I knew my whole life. Mm. I mean, the first thing I say to that is, how does a heterosexual man not having had sex with another man know that he's not gay if he hasn't tried it? I know. How could he possibly <laughs> know? <laughs> right. it, it, it's, oh, there, there's this, we're very laden in the idea that evidence and proof are paramount. Mm. You know, we need to prove that we are something or we like something or that is who we are through having done it or having something to show for it. Uh, and we don't, which is why many of us don't even trust ourselves in our own judgments and our own needs it is because of this societal belief that you, you have to have done it to know. Well, what about our intuition? What about our mm -hmm. feelings? What about the intangible things? There's over-importance on the tangible and not the intangible. Um, yeah. Mm, definitely. So for a woman in a cisgendered heterosexual relationship, how can they honour their sexuality? Mm. So, I mean, the first one about that, it when a cishet man is in a relationship with a bisexual woman, it is no longer a heterosexual relationship. It is a queer relationship. Oh, I've actually never called it that I've mm -hmm. never called it that and I'm so doing that from now on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so basically no matter who you Emily are in a relationship with it's a queer relationship yeah I've yeah. never thought of it like that I don't I've just yeah. never had somebody I guess tell me mm. yeah. and and you know I I think that only occurred to me quite recently as well but I mean, briefly, my coming out story, I was 17, came out as lesbian, and then I went through a kind of um, bit of a satire on the, the shit that people give queer people, but I went through a heterosexual phase. I like to rub it in their faces. I went, I tried men for it a little bit, realised I didn't like them, so I went back to being um, well, I didn't even check. While I was dating men, I didn't even identify as bisexual. I was um, lesbian and that in hindsight was definitely biphobia rearing its head. But then I had my first real relationship when I was 25 with a, with a woman and really got connected to my sexuality in a way I never had before. And then I entered a relationship with a man a couple of years later and it was between that that I came out as bisexual, which I was about 26. And um, I dated and had sexual relationships with a variety of genders and realised that I was attracted to masculinity. So mm -hmm. um, that can be in expression, it can be in energy, it can be in... Um, a dynamic it's quite you know I could do a whole podcast on masculinity and femininity but generally that's what I realized and so it had nothing to do with gender for me it had to do with masculinity that's what I was drawn to so that's how I came out as bisexual um so in terms of I think you'd gone back to the broad question of how can mm. women honor yeah, their bisexuality. 
Okay, so there's a number of things which I will walk through. Now, this is, again, given the context of women in a monogamous relationship that they want to honour. They don't want to leave this relationship. They want to work through it. And, of course, it'll be different individual to individual. Have they come out before the relationship? Did their partner know they were bisexual upon entering it? Or did they come out midway through? That will influence things as well. Uh, and I know that there is, there's quite a bit of content out there about how to open up a relationship and how to do polyamory in these kind of circumstances. So I'm not going to speak to that. This is specifically around monogamy. So the first thing there's no particular order here, so I'm just going to mm -hmm. throw them out. What I've got here is education around the vulva and clitoris. So sex, let's just quote-unquote heterosexual sex, is very linear. It's the expectation that the sexual encounter will end in the man ejaculating and that will be the end. You've spoken about this a lot on your podcast. We all know mm. this exists. So one way to queer up a relationship is to flip this on its head and make it whatever you so choose. And one way is to understand the anatomy of the vulva and clitoris, to understand um, how your particular partner, and I guess I'm speaking to the male partner here, um, orgasms, um, experiences pleasure, uh, you know, what, what is the energy she brings to the room? It's, it's not going to be linear. It's, it's going to have a different cycle. How can that be celebrated? And how can the man maybe take on some of those lessons? For example, a male orgasm is not ejaculation. They're separate things. Um, yet we hardly know that they can they can happen simultaneously but a man can actually have an cisgendered penis man can have multiple orgasms it is possible uh, so I think when there's these more dynamic conversations around the woman's sexuality being brought into the room and the man taking inspiration from that it can really, really open up doors to connection, intimacy, uh, sensuality, eroticism. There's, there's actually a lot of exciting things on the table. It is not a doomsday sign of the end of a relationship. We can take this as a really positive thing. So that yeah, would be absolutely. one. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, on that note, um, I'm not sure if you've spoken about the sexual arousal uh of men and women and again no I'm i don't think i ever have on here actually okay no. great a little little brief thing and of course i'm i'm only talking about uh binary of male and female mm. um, because it's according to the biology of sexual arousal but with a penis owner it very much is um a spike if you look at the graph it will go um slow at the beginning um, in terms of heading upwards towards arousal and pleasure and towards the erection it will um, go up quite steep and then once the ejaculation or 
yeah, the ejaculation has taken part because the orgasm can keep going, for example, it will dive down very, very quickly. And basically they, <laughs> what's the word? They just can't participate anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, the woman is still keen to keep going. The, the woman's sexual arousal graph will look more like a rounded zigzag. So she can keep going and going and going, which is why um, lesbian sex, or at least in my experience, can go for hours upon hours. I can imagine. And yeah, it's just, it's just different. It's just different. Um, so that, I guess, that story we take from these graphs and we take as truth or we take as the end, there needs to be more creativity and conversation around, okay, what what does this partner need? What does this partner need? Is there some way that um, the sex can continue after the man has ejaculated uh, in a way where she's not just by herself using a toy because sex is a really meaningful part of a relationship for two people to connect. It's we don't want her to just go away by herself and perform business unless that is, of course, a choice. But what are some ways that they continue can continue to remain connected in her pleasure? So mm, that's something so I know far, I've, yeah, I've really yeah, struggled with that part. I find mm-hmm. it so frustrating when sex does just end, especially because I'm somebody who does struggle to orgasm during heterosexual sex like it's very very difficult for me so then I often find it's either me just pulling out a toy but then it's almost like they're just spectating and just like watching and then I'm like I can't do it if you're just looking at me or if they're using it on me but there's no enthusiasm I can't like it feels like they're just doing it as a chore and there's not that excitement and genuine curiosity within the sex it's like as soon as they're done they're just ready to tap out and if they do want to keep engaging it's seems like more of an effort and it's only for a couple minutes so there's actually a word for what you've just experienced I only learned it the other day but it's called anorgasmia have you heard of that yes yeah I have heard of that yeah Um, so it's difficulty orgasming if that even is a verb but (laughs) yes um, it's it's a thing we can get so caught up in our heads and I personally do experience that as well where I feel like I'm under pressure and I'm a burden and I'm taking Mm -hmm. way too long and why can't it be faster just like he was and then a lot of shame comes up and I feel inadequate I that's exactly how I feel yeah yeah so obviously a lot of this has to do with the people that are coming to the table for this do you have a partner that's empathetic that's kind who believes that your well-being and your pleasure is important or you know are we are we talking about someone that's quite self-centered and just not interested in these kind of conversations and you will find if maybe you choose to apply some of the things I recommend in this podcast today and the other person isn't receptive to it, well, then they're sharing their true colours. And that can be heartbreaking. Uh, Ultimately, this is what comes to the surface with vulnerable conversations like this is 
Are they meeting you in the middle? Are they seeing you for who you are? Are they doing it tokenistically or are they doing it out of them genuinely loving you and wanting to see you at your best and your fullest self? Uh, so I offer that, I guess, as a caution in case that does come up when you are excitedly bringing these topics to the table, they might not be met with the same excitement. Um, yeah, so that's a side note. Mm. Um, other things I've got here is they have nothing to do with sex or the bedroom or that side of the relationship. And it's more symbolic and meaningful and principled. So for some people, honoring one's queerness in a uh, what may appear from the outside to be a heterosexual relationship is spicing up roles, as in questioning them and not taking them for granted or keeping them as static. Mm -hmm. So when talking about raising children, having kids, parenting, or domestic house tasks, or um, social circles, um, stereotypes, that kind of thing. Are you with your partner always assuming the woman to be one thing and the man to be another? And there's no overlap. There's no conversation. There's no actual um, working out whether people want to fit in those roles. Sometimes they do. Sometimes it so happens that the woman is quite happy to do the domestic tasks and the man is happy to be the so-called breadwinner. But we can't assume that they are and we have to have those conversations. And I will say that just as men need to be open to diversifying those roles, so too do women. Women need to be open to the idea of the man connecting to his femininity or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> You can't, what's that saying? Have you cake and eat it too? I never understand that one, but you get the I idea. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> really? Is it because no. I, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I've been hanging out with quite a few young people, like um, 10 years younger than me recently, and I am saying sayings that just don't land. So I will have <laughs> to work out that. <laughs> That just reminds me of the first yeah. time meeting and I used the term spit roasting and you were just looking at me like, I, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even remember what that means. So you have to remind me later. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it means um, you can't expect someone else to do something and then not do it yourself. I guess it's along the lines of you've got to practice what you preach. Um, so again, Anytime you're expecting a partner to be vulnerable and open-minded, you also have to be prepared to hear things that you're not comfortable with and that you might have to change. It's a two-way street. Um, another part is, is it important to show up for community, either together or separately, or for there to be some level of support? For example, going to queer events or rallies mm -hmm. or um, is education important, going to see public speakers, uh, reading books together, listening to podcasts together. Um, 
going to parties, talking to different kinds of people, not being exposed to the same social circle and same archetypes every day. Are those kind of things important? Now, I to, to me, that was personally important. I had, when I was single before my ex-boyfriend, I'd really decided that or I'd worked out that it was important, whoever I am with, that they have a curiosity around understanding LGBTQI issues and themes. And it didn't matter what gender they were, just as long as they were curious, yeah, no matter what sexuality either. And my ex-partner didn't really have that. And so I quite often felt like I was lecturing and pushy and bossy. And then that got ugly because I was then cast as the, what do you call it? The um, naggy female. I hate that. And I, I just, I, I refused to be put in that position. And then I, I revved up even more and got more furious and rageful, which, you know, is actually masculine. I was stepping into my masculinity. I was holding my boundaries and saying, this is important to me. How dare you invalidate me? And of course, I could have gone about it a lot more kindly and softly and more patiently, but just how I was immediately minimized for it being an angry woman. And of course, we layer many things on top of that with different identities and it becomes far more loaded. But that was something that stuck with me is upon entering relationships, it's important to trust your gut in how that person is responding to you. Are they open to having the difficult conversations? Are they open to being challenged and proven wrong? or um, meeting you in the middle. And, you know, all relationships upon entering them, we don't know the whole truth at the start. We Mm -hmm. discover it as we go along. But that's another caution that I offer is a partner can be so good at so many things, but maybe on this one topic, they're not so understanding. And that's okay if they have a lot more to give to the relationship and to your life then that needs to be taken into consideration. No relationship's going to be 100% perfect. So it's weighing up all these things, which parts are kind of non-negotiable to you and really, really matter more than the others and which can you be empathetic and patient around or just, I think, um, oh, Gottman, Gottman therapy, that's one of the main marital modes of therapy Um, says that there are perpetual problems in relationships and it's about 70% of problems are perpetual where they can't ever be changed and they will always be there, but you just navigate them. You Mm -hmm. move around them and you support each other where you can, but you understand that you're two different individuals and you're never going to be carbon copies. So what's your 30%? What is the area where those are problems that you must be able to work on, that that your partner is forthcoming? And what's the 70% that you're okay uh, to just deal with? Um, And I think we can really over-glorify relationships and with social media see these squeaky clean representations of partnership. 
And that's not how it is. Mm, it's it's going to be grueling and raw and difficult. And, and that grit is what makes love even more authentic. So these conversations about queerness, although they may be hard, you know, be receptive to maybe seeing what they're doing well and how they are showing up for you is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite easy to get caught up in the they're not giving me this, they're not giving me that, and not looking at what they actually are doing. I uh, you know I do that. <laughs> um, it's very I easy. Too. Yeah, I think it's just very easy to focus on negatives, um, yes. and especially when they're the things that are frustrating you, and that's what you get work. Like I know myself, I get worked up on it. Um, but I loved that there were non-sexual ways to honor sexuality in that because I think a lot of people a lot of men especially will think of I guess when looking at bisexuality as just a sexual thing and not I guess honoring that and supporting that in ways that are not sexual and like as you said like going out to events and things like that um which I think that's I had something once again I never thought about how if I was with a man how they would respond to going to events like that with me um, and how enthusiastic mm. they would be about that because I think that would show a lot about their character um, mm, it and how would, they, and I guess, respond to the LGBT community. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's made me think of it's the unplanned moments as well that count for everything so if you know you're going about your day with your partner walking down the street and they see homophobia transphobia taking place and rather than being a bystander they step in and they do something or they um, at least turn to you and and ask what could I do in this moment how could I use my privilege that to me speaks louder than words actually having the intention and the actions um same thing depending on the family dynamics we have uh of the couple with each of their families how do they talk about their partner to their family to me that's really really important am i the really outspoken one at the dinner table talking about lgbtqi and gender rights while everyone else is not will my partner step in and like help fuel that conversation and educate himself where need be and use his voice which is more i guess embraced within that family or when he goes to talk with his male friends he's more accepted than the woman who's going off her tree trying to give a lecture he has more opportunity to reach people in a different way and is he using that? To me, that's mm -hmm. really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is. I think that's a, definitely an attractive feature when they speak mm. up for any minority group or any just anything that needs to be addressed that people just slide under the rug and use their jokes and everything. I find that very attractive when somebody speaks up about that. And because it's so exhausting being the person who constantly has to do that for a man in this relationship if they're feeling threatened by their partner's sexuality and say whether that's because they've 
come out during the relationship or it's just something that they've realized they're getting feeling threatened by throughout are there any steps that they could take to kind of help break down that fear and then instead support their partner Mm. the first question I would ask is am I feeling threatened by what is presently in front of me or am I being threatened by how the present is reminding me of something that happened in the past and I'm projecting this onto the situation so another way of saying that is and this goes for anything where we're experiencing a difficult emotion we need to make sure that we're honoring the feeling that's arisen and not the story that we're attaching to it so if our partner if okay so for the man if the female partner is presenting this conversation with the utmost respect and patience and love and commitment to the relationship and he's feeling threatened then that's a sign something is being triggered from his past and it has nothing to do with her but if she presents it from a place of superiority treating him like he knows nothing condescending um, expecting that he won't understand and giving not giving him benefit of the doubt and he feels threatened by that well that's justified it's mm-hmm. like any relationship we need to have the core foundational connection and trust there and if someone is bringing to the table a difficult conversation and it's not coming from respect then I guess that other person's intuition has every right to be standing on its back legs. But if there's no reason, if you look at the present moment and it's actually being presented to you in the most ethical and loving way, then that's where it points to that person needing to do the inner work for themselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is there any other... I guess, issues or um, topics within honouring your sexuality in a heterosexual relationship that you'd like to touch on? Hmm. Well, of course, um, you know, if we're talking more practical things, it's it's um, a woman connecting as well to herself through uh, masturbation or toys or developing an awareness of of what she likes. You know, generally speaking, uh, I think statistically women do masturbate less than men. Mm. Um, That is to be expected from just the the conversation that takes place. Yeah, exactly. So um, encouraging a connection to self, we quite often think to go outside of ourselves to feel connected and at the end of the day we might be actually disconnecting from ourselves which explains why we can be surrounded by so many people yet feel so lonely Absolutely. and that's that's the real pandemic that's happening is we're so disconnected from ourselves and then we're disconnected from others 
was because we don't actually know who we are to even have aligned and meaningful relationships. So I would say use the opportunity where you're having this conversation with your partner to not put all the load on them to determine what comes of the relationship but actually go inward as well and see how you can satisfy yourself not just sexually but it might might be uh, an aspect of your career that is not um, lighting you up in life and you feel really depleted by and then you come home to your relationship and expect that to kind of remedy your unhappiness so really be taking in the full picture of what's happening for you then and there for both partners really but uh we can you know as we were saying at the beginning find it so easy to focus on the negatives another habit that we do is we focus on the external and everything that's happening around us but not actually what's going on within us yeah absolutely um I even know myself going into relationships. I will kind of be more just like, what can I do to make sure this goes smoothly? But I then lose the part of honoring myself and staying true and trusting myself and having those boundaries. It's like, well, I'd rather just have this connection and enjoy this connection than actually have to take a step away from them because I have this boundary or something that I need to honor within myself. Um, And I imagine that would tie in with people trying to honor their queerness as well, because especially if they're going into a heterosexual relationship where that man doesn't completely understand it, it would be easier to just not acknowledge it and just kind of take on that role as a heterosexual woman. Mm. and there's so many things I want to say to that but basically that's a podcast episode within itself <laughs> yeah. yeah there's so much I can say to that exactly that's that's all I have to say because I could go on a tangent easily yeah definitely is there anything else that you want to touch on within this space I mean I would be curious about the gaps that I have left out here and there will be many. So I guess I extend the invitation for any shaggers or listeners to reach out to me um, if, if they do have any other questions or to Emily and happy to continue the conversation in some other format. So, yeah. Now I would love to know what is something that is orgasmic to you? Mm, I did think about this and I was quite, uh, (laughs) it was interesting where my mind went because I've been connecting to my sexuality a lot more recently and a previous version of myself would have said something like, I find intelligence orgasmic. (laughs) (laughs) But no way, no way. I, uh, yes, I mean, yes, I still do, but, um, I would say, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but doing Kegels while being penetrated. I have never tried it. Okay. Yes. So you have to elaborate just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, so I'm one of the weird 20% where most of my orgasms come from penetration. The other, um, what, 80% is, is clitoral. Yeah. So I have a lot of fun experimenting with that. And something I discovered is, so Kegels is where you practice tensing and strengthening um, your pelvic floor muscles and your vaginal wall. And so when being penetrated by um, a standard issue penis or a dildo or fingers, you tense those muscles, then it kind of stimulates, I guess, you know, the G-spot is a bit of a myth, but it's that kind of area that is even more intensely stimulated when doing those exercises rather than passively kind of receiving the gesture you are active in it. And I also like the idea of this because it flips the script of penetration being masculine and powerful and um, receiving being weak and passive. Mm. Because when, <laughs> when you're on top and you're basically doing this exercise, there is nothing more powerful because you are calling all the shots, basically. Um, so that has been a revelation for me that um highly recommend if you're part wow, of the 20%. I'm going to have to try that because the only orgasm I have had during sex has been through penetration and no clitoral stimulation. Okay. So yeah, right. I'm going to have to try that and maybe <laughs> I will be able to have more regular orgasms than just the one yeah. that I managed to fluke. <laughs> well, yes, please report back because... Uh, yeah, it blew my mind. Um, and it also, I think it really helped me with the overthinking part as well, mm -hmm. because it, it it's it, it's like a way of connecting to your body on this more um, sacred present level. You know, I found that I was less in my head and more at a rhythm with my body and my breath. And that yeah, it was quite new to me because I do live a lot in my head in every domain of my life. And that's why sex can be the most amazing thing for, for people who live in their heads so much. Um, mm. If finding the comfortable, right kind of approach and this happens to be mine. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'm 100% going to try that. And because mm. I'm the same, I get in my head and I can imagine it would bring me back to my body and distract my mind and allow me to focus on just that so that is great great advice <laughs> yeah. yes let me know how you go <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge this has been one of those episodes where I've learned a lot <laughs> which I love um yeah so thank you so much pleasure no I've I've learned a lot from you as well um just understanding the kinds of conversations that exist out there which you are having and you are leading so thank you for this podcast even existing as always shaggers please reach out with any comments questions or stories either through my instagram at that's orgasmic or my email emily duncan at that's orgasmic.com please subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast and leave a review as i'd love to know what you're thinking so thank you shaggers and i'll see you next time <laughs>